0: One of the major reasons our world finds itself in such a painful mess is because God's people have allowed the world to define what is normal for society. This sad fact is extremely apparent as related to the institution of marriage. Listen in today as Pastor Rander continues to speak about this matter in the message, Misconceptions in Marriage. He'll begin our discussion in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse number 32. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of uh, allowing us to get to your house to worship you in spirit and in truth, restrain the work of the enemy, and let the people hear what you have to say, and then apply the word to their hearts. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, "Amen." God bless you. If you'll be so kind enough to turn with us to First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve, we're going to continue in the message that we preached on last Sunday. First uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve is our text for this morning. The scripture says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Again, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. We'll continue our journey through this marriage series, and we want to continue where we left off last time. We want to preach on warning signs of a marriage that is in trouble. Warning signs of a marriage that is in trouble. My friend, do not think for one moment that your marriage is so strong that it cannot fail. There is no such thing as a trouble-free marriage. We all have problems and difficulties that arise within our marriages. The world, the flesh, and the devil will surely see to that as well. Also, there are glaring warning signs that indicate that a marriage is in trouble which should be obvious if you are paying attention to them. Sadly, one or both spouses are often in denial and refuse to address the issues or even seek Christian counseling for help. We seek help when our cars need repair, when the plumbing leaks, when the electricity malfunctions. We seek help when we are sick and in need of a doctor. And how much more should we seek help when our marriage is in trouble? With that being said, what are the warning signs for a marriage that's in trouble? Number one, now that the courtship is over, you stop doing the things you did prior to the marriage. Uh, You just let go and just kind of take it for granted. For example, the thrill is gone, no more kisses. No more hugs, no more holding of the hands, no more affectionate behavior, no more romantic language. True love will keep romance in the marriage, says Psalms of Solomon chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. We must not let the romance go. We must have kisses, hugs, holding of hands, affectionate behavior, romantic language and not allow our marriages to grow stale and dry and lifeless. Secondly, the second warning sign is that when pride keeps us from submitting to our God-given roles and responsibility for the husband and the wife in the marriage, When pride keeps us from submitting to our God-given roles and responsibility for the husband and wife within the marriage. Satan is the author of confusion and tries to disrupt whatever God has established according to his word. He desires to destroy God's divine order, which creates chaos and turmoil, discord, and dissatisfaction in the family. Satan doesn't want you to have a happy, well-balanced marriage. He wants you in confusion. He wants you fighting and devouring one another. He wants you at each other's throat. And he wants the roles all confused to the point that it brings a disharmony and disunity in the marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loved the church to the extent that he died sacrificially for the church that he so loved. With that passage being at the forefront now, allow me to give God's criteria for submission God's criteria for submission submission just doesn't happen it just doesn't ooze on you there's something involved in the process of submission let me give you some things it takes for us to submit to the glory of God a you cannot submit to one another until you first submit to the Lord if you don't submit to the Lord you're not going to submit to anybody else. And you're going to have a problem with everybody else. Your first and foremost submission should be to God himself. Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You ought to reverence God, love God's word and what he is saying according to scripture. And when you love his word and you have a reverential fear in your walk with God, then you will submit to your husband wives and even the husband should submit to their responsibilities uh, within the context of the family to the glory of Almighty God. The scripture says in Romans twelve ten, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. In other words, another point on submission is that submission cannot be imposed. It cannot be imposed. Uh, in other words, you cannot force someone to submit. It must be an act of your own will. You have to want to submit. And sometimes you obey, but you're doing so defiantly in your heart. And God doesn't want you to respond that way. God wants you to submit willfully as unto the Lord. And, and you can't say, "Woman, you gonna listen to me, I'm gonna make you obey me. Uh, man, I'm uh, the wife said, I'm going to turn your neck if I have to break it, you know. No, 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 no. Submission cannot be imposed. In other words, you cannot force someone to submit. You have to be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly and sisterly love, honoring each other, giving preference to the other, not looking out for your own interests. Another criteria for submission is this. Submission does not cancel out equality. Submission does not cancel out equality. Just because the husband is the head of the wife doesn't mean that the wife is inferior or is of lesser importance than the husband. Though the roles are different in marriage, in the sight of God, we are both equal. We are equal. We are both fearfully and wonderfully made to the glory of God, even though our roles are different, we're still equal in the sight of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created uh, him, male and female, not male and male, female and female, male and female. And God does not want those roles reversed. That is an offense to almighty God. He created them. And what Satan always wants to do is to undo what God has ordained. But we must stand for marriage, the sanctity of marriage, to the glory of Almighty God. We believe in heterosexual relationship, Christian marriages, to the glory of God. And that better be taught to your children because these books now... Listen, don't just look at voting in mayors and and senators and congressmen. You better watch how you vote when it comes to the school boards and people that governs the textbooks and all of these things because they're trying to neutralize all of this and indoctrinate your children, even the cartoons you have to watch. And you have to screen everything with a discerning eye to the glory of Almighty God. Why don't you say amen? D, we must realize that submission is for both husbands and wives. Not just for the husband or not just for the wives, it is for both of us. Just as the wife is to submit to her husband, the husband is also to submit to the needs of his wife because of his sacrificial love for her. I like what the end of Galatians 5.13b says, but through love serve one another. Uh, I'm to serve my wife, she is to serve me, and we will do this in the unity of the spirit with a sacrificial love. Jesus loved the church sacrificially to the point that he died for the church. He died for you and I. And so must we as men be willing to sacrifice our lives and our hearts and our minds and our being to our wives to the glory of God as she submits to the headship of her husband. There's a mutual submission as we serve one another in love. E, submission does not mean that the husband should ask their wives to do something that violates scripture. Uh, should the husband ask the wife to do something unbiblical, it is at that point that she is to obey God rather than her husband. For example, cheating on taxes. Uh, Husbands, if you're loving the Lord, you will not ask your wife to cheat or to hide your mess or your devilish acts. That's right. Not tell your wife to stay home, you can't go to church. Uh, you can't tithe to the Lord. Those things are unbiblical. Uh, you will not tell your wife to lie. You'll teach your children how to lie and say, I'm not at home, and all these kinds of things. That's Those things are antithetical to our walk with the Lord. The scripture says in Acts five twenty-nine a But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Let God rule in your marriage. Let God's word reign supreme in your marriage. Marriage is the world's oldest institution established by God for our benefit and yet is entered into by most with unrealistic expectations. Join us today as Pastor Rander continues the series God's Gift of Marriage in the Destructive Culture with this message, Misconceptions in Marriage. He'll be teaching from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse number 32. Submission is this, F, headship is not Dictatorship. Headship is not dictatorship. Ephesians 5, 23, 22 through 23 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Husbands, when you love your wife sacrificially, you will not rule over her or abuse your authority as you govern your home to the glory of God. But rather, you will be her spiritual Covering, uh, Say spiritual covering, husbands. Say it again. You're a spiritual covering over your wife and family. You're the priest in the family, priest in the home. You as a priest in the home, you're to lead your family in the way of Christ. They ought to follow you as you follow Christ to the glory of God. You are the protector of your spouse and children. Your responsibility as the husband uh, in the head of the house is to make sure your wife is safe. Make sure your wife is safe. You are to make her feel secure and not insecure. You will also be her provider. She'll not wonder how she's going to eat or is the mortgage going to get paid and all the it, it, card note being paid and all of these things, you are to make sure that that house is being run well financially as well to the glory of God. You are the provider in that home whether she works or not. Why don't you say amen? amen. As a matter of fact, the first obligation of that wife is to her home. I know society says differently, but uh, you are a homemaker, wives and mothers. And your first obligation is to your children and to your home. Nobody, moms, let me tell you something, nobody will treat your children as well as you. Nobody will love your children like you. No one will nurture your children like you. And we live in a latchkey society. Kids come home, you're giving dictates and texting orders to do, and children are just raising children, and they're just footloose and fancy free. And I know you say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm a single parent and all these things. So I just have to work because I'm financial mess. Listen, I realize there are extenuating circumstances. We're just sharing with you the Bible way was first and foremost. According to Scripture, we realize that there are a lot of moms out there that have to work. And there are a lot of moms working because their husband won't work. <laughs> You know so uh we we, re- we do realize that, but you ought to see what the ultimate goal is, according to the scripture. We need to seek the highest good according to scripture and uh it's one thing to sacrifice yourself when your children are young, and then when they all get in school, if you want to work some. Part-time job or do something else—that's just fine. But the obligation is to the home and the family. You are a homemaker. Nobody can make that home smell like you, wife. Nobody—that's right. Nobody can beautify that home like you, mom. No, nobody can give the children a tender loving care like you. And for single parents out there who are struggling and trying to make ends meet and do your best and go to school and work and all that. Listen, we double salute you, and we bless you in the name of Jesus. Let's give our single parents a big hand. As a matter of fact, if you're a single parent, why don't you stand today? Why don't you stand? If you are a single parent, why don't, why don't you stand? Remain standing. Let's give it to them. Come on. Look, look at them. Praise God. Praise God. We love you. We salute you. We thank God for you. Matter of fact, you you're doing better than than most husbands and wives put together, and uh, we appreciate you. Uh, you. God has given you a double portion of strength, and we're here. That's why we have single parent ministry that's going to be meeting during our Sunday school hour today, because we you, we we value you, we honor you, and we're here. We support you, and uh, we thank God for you. And all God's children said, "Amen." Amen. You may be seated to the glory of Almighty God. Thirdly, uh, let's go, let's go on to the next point. Uh, you know your, your marriage is in trouble when one spouse is miserable. When one spouse is miserable, they deliberately seek to irritate and make the other spouse miserable as well. You are all bent out of shape, out of order. You're not enjoying life. You don't even like your marriage and and your your spouse is okay, and they looking to the Lord, and they trust in the Lord, and they still whistling and humming around the house and singing, and you you got rocks in your jaws and talking about why you so nice when i'm so miserable first Corinthians thirteen five says "Love does not behave rudely; you ought not be rude to your husband, you ought not be rude to your wife, you're to love each other." and uh, you are to value each other, and you are to respect one another. Uh, love does not seek its own, it's not about you, it's about your spouse. Is not provoke, you are not provoke your spouse just because you mad, you want him to be mad. You mad, you want her to be mad. You pouting, you want to fight. Matter of fact, there are some spouses, they pick a fight. <laughs> They' satisfied till they just pick a fight because they want their spouse to be miserable because you having a bad day, you want your spouse to have a bad day. Uh, being miserable somehow loves company. It is often said that misery loves company. It is a terrible thing when one seeks to destroy the peace and joy of their spouse so that they too can be equally as miserable, which is to the detriment of the marriage at large. Uh, Number four, your marriage is in trouble when you fail to celebrate significant events in the life of your spouse and marriage. You ought to celebrate significant events, significant achievements, birthdays, anniversary, accomplishments. Celebrating your spouse will encourage them, will build your husband or wife up, bring value and significance to them. Romans 12, 15, 8 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. You ought to celebrate each other's birthday. My wife and I went out and I had a birthday card that my wife had given me back in 2013. I pulled that card out and uh, read the words to her that was so wonderful. I just read her cards and I said, honey, I love it now. The card so much now, and I said I just want to pull this card out and read it, and the money she had given me way back then, but my birthday 2013. I pulled that ch- piece of chain out, and we change out, and we celebrated uh, somewhere up in the hill country together. And uh, the man thought it was our, my birthday because he saw birthday on it. He give us he gave us some free cake because he thought it was our birthday, but that was a birthday from 2013. I didn't tell him any better, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we just had a wonderful, good time in the hill country in the coolness of the evening. Celebrate your marriage. Celebrate birthday. Don't just give a card with nothing in it. Put some. That's not. Put something in the card. Don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. Put something in the card. Do something. Do so. And give her things she like, man. If she like being. Is she like her nails done? Give her, give her, give her a wife out day so she can do a hair, do a locks, or do uh, massages and foot massages and and all day pampering and all those and You women like that kind of stuff? I don't know. You know, uh, Mother's Day out while you keep the kids and and on and on. Look how you men looking at me like I'm talking Greek. <laughs> you know, uh, give her something she likes. You know, give her something she likes. And so uh, it's very important that you celebrate graduation. She's graduating uh, a big accomplishment. And then celebrate little things. Little things. He pick up behind himself. Praise God, your underwear's not on the floor. You know, little things. Uh, uh, husband, your wife ain't your mama. She has no business picking up behind you. You pick up your own underwear and put it in the cart or wherever you put it. The pamper, dirty clothes, whatever that thing is. Do something with yourself. She she don't don't make her work hard. See how you can help and be a blessing around that house to the glory of God. Put the remote down and do something. So it's very, very important that you love your spouse that way, celebrating events, celebrating punctuality. Ooh, your own time. I sure appreciate that. You didn't forget the, the items on the grocery list. I mean, celebrate little things. Celebrate little things to the glory of God. Uh, number five, you know your marriage is in trouble where there is a noticeable decline in trust. The trust is waning. Uh, beloved, trust is the foundation of the marriage and when it has been violated, it has to be earned back. You just can't tell your wife or husband, just get over it. That was six months ago. Listen, that wound is, that wound is still fresh. The healing comes in the context of a marriage when there's consistency, honesty, accountability, and commitment in the marriage. Proverbs 31, verses 11 and 12 says, The heart of her husband safely trust her. Husband need to be able to trust the wife. The wife needs to be able to trust the husband. When you don't have trust, you don't have a marriage. You know, you have to trust each other with the monies. Trust each other with what you say. Trust, trust, trust. You have to build that marriage on trust. It is a critical component in the context of the marriage. Verse 12 says she does him good and not evil. That's big. The virtuous wife in Proverbs 31 says she does her husband good. She's not agitating him. She's not doing him evil. She's not being mean and cantankerous and all these things. All the days of her life She's ministering to her husband, to the glory of God. She does him good. Wise, are you doing your husbands any good? Are you smiling at him?
1: That's right. Are you
0: grabbing on him and pulling at him lovingly, saying how sweet you are, baby? You know, how good are you to, are you, (laughs) you need, (laughs) you need to do Your husband, some good. It's not he ought to be doing you right, doing you right too. But uh, you ought to be doing him good. I'm trying to help these men too, because I don't want to be men bashing. You need to do him good. He loves it when you pull on him and put your hands on him and touch him and stroke him and wrap your hands around his face and do those kinds of things. Or just smooch on him. Do him some good. Do him some good. Do some things he likes to do. Do him some good. Don't do him evil. You know, I mean, I prayed long and hard before I married my wife. When I was a teenager, I was praying that God give me a good wife. I was praying, Lord, I don't want to be fighting with a woman. I said, Lord, I don't want an ice pick in my chest. I was praying. I was praying. I was praying. I was doing some praying. And you know what? God gave me an excellent wife, a virtuous wife, a good wife. I can snore and slob all over myself. And I know she is safe. Amen. She does me a lot of good. Amen. Last night I couldn't sleep and I was telling her what was going on and she just, she grabbed something and just read to me. It was 2 o'clock in the morning before I really went to sleep and my foot, foot hit the floor at 5 o'clock in the morning. And but um, she took out something and just read to me just to calm me down and settle me down and she read this book with prayers in it, and all these kinds of things. Be willing to calm each other down when one is rattled, when one is disturbed, when one one needs to be just settled down. You be the you be the person who knows how to settle your man down or to settle your wife down to the glory of God. Sometimes our spirits get trouble, our hearts get trouble, and these things. And, and we're there for one another through those times. She does him good. And not evil all the days of her life. Uh, number six, you know your marriage is in trouble when there is constant conflict over child rearing, such as discipline, how you discipline the children, co-signing for a car, college expenses, on and on it goes. Amos 3-3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed As we raise our children, we must not allow them to run interference in our marriage. They know how to play one parent against the other. It's important for parents to be a united front when dealing with the issues of your children. Your children should never see you fussing at each other, fighting at each other, fighting with each other, pouting at one another. That makes for a disturbed, dysfunctional family. And so if you have a disagreement, you ought to settle those differences out of your children's presence for the glory of God and for the sake of your children. Number seven, uh, you know your marriage is in trouble when you argue and fuss so much until that has become the norm in your marriage. Just fussing and arguing, arguing and fussing, just mad about anything. They simply coexist in tension and strife. I mean, even on Christmas Day, you find something to fight about can't have a decent thanksgiving meal for, for just being negative. Negativity must not rule and reign in your marriage. That's right. Ask God to, to help you see the good, the positive things, uh, to put a spiritual of uh, spin, a spiritual spin on something that could be negative, but God has shown you how to say something that could edify and bring peace and resolution in the situation. Galatians 5.15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit www.maranathasa.org